We're going to be in Matthew 18 today. If those of you who don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and the ushers will come down and give you a Bible. So last night I'm preparing the message on forgiveness and it's raining and there's a lightning storm and the lightning hits somewhere near the house and blows my TV up. I don't know if I should pray about that or God's trying to tell me something. So we're in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. This is the instruction about forgiveness, one of Jesus' parables. Verse 21, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hold on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and he asks him, how, long shall, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Now, Peter thinks he's being generous here because the, the, Babylonian, or the uh, Talmud at the time, which is a commentary on the Jewish oral tradition, the rabbis said that three times was good enough. So Peter figured... Now, seven, I'm a pretty generous guy. I don't think he expected the answer that Jesus gave him. Jesus said pretty much 490 times. Now, that's not, that doesn't mean that you get to 480 and you figure, I only have ten more times and then I can let this scoundrel go. It's not the meaning behind that. It's an it's a attitude of the heart. So, basically, uh, verse 23, Jesus now introduces some characters in the parable. The king represents God, and the servants represent us. Now, there's a key part of this parable that without understanding it, it's hard to understand the rest of the parable, and that's the talent itself. A talent was a measure of weight back then. A common talent was 75 pounds, and a royal talent was 150 pounds. Now, depending on whether the talent was was usually a precious metal, whether it be gold or silver, 10,000 talents could be anywhere from $60 billion to $5 billion. So it was a huge debt that the servant owed his master. Uh, basically, if you divide the, that large number by a day's wage, which was roughly $30 a day, you get he owed his master 2 billion working days or 165 million working days to pay off this debt. So he owed him a lot. 
Now, if I could find my wife, her eyes are probably rolling in the back of her head right now. She hates math. But stick with me. There's, there's a reason for all this. Basically, the purpose of the story, for the purpose of the story, let's say that the servants are 20 years old and they work to be 100. They have 80 years of working. If you take 80 years and multiply it by 365 days a year, you get 28,000 working days. And that's without subtracting days off from the cost of living. So does, am, I reminding, am I bringing any of you back to grade school? If a train travels from Boston to California at 70 miles an hour and Joe takes a plane from New York to Boston at 500 miles an hour, who gets there first? All I got was a headache, but there's, there's a reason for all this. Okay? Um, what, what basically the reason is is that we owe an insurmountable debt to God. Because if you look at 28,000 working days and you still owe several million working days, your whole life long you couldn't pay off that debt. So we owe that debt to God, and that is in the form of sin. That's the form of our sin. It's an insurmountable debt, and we can't even put a dent in it because we only have one lifetime to do it. It just doesn't work. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment. So you see reality. In, in verse 25, you see the reality of the depths of sin here. He can't pay the debt, so the only solution is he, his wife, his children are sold into slavery, and all his goods are sold with it. Everything he has and is dear to him and he loves is painfully separated from him because of this debt. Sin brings slavery. Sin leads us into bondage. And the misery not only is for ourselves, but the misery spills on to our family, our friends, and everyone that we love. That's what sin does. You have to understand that. Verse 26, the servant falls down before the master saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now, this is a picture of futility. That's all it is. He's asking for mercy, mercy, but, you know, we spoke about how he could never pay it off. So what is he saying here? I believe he's just babbling. Reminds me of those old movies. You ever see those old movies of the dynasties and they bring some poor guy, some poor slob before the king bound and he gets on his knees and he says, please, please, I swear, I promise. He's just babbling. He's just asking for mercy. And that's what this person is doing. But the interesting thing is there are some people in this world that believe erroneously that they can start to pay that sin to God. Some people are actually deceived enough to think that they can do enough good deeds or they can work or they can do God a bunch of favors and he'll be happy with, with, with them. Well, if that was the case and we could get to heaven by our own means, then Jesus wasted his time coming here. What was the sense in dying on the cross if we could do it ourselves? In verse 27, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. This is a picture of the cross. This is John 3.16 right here. The, the debt is completely paid in full and immediately. Completely and immediately. He didn't put it on the royal credit card. He didn't put the guy on an installment plan. He didn't give him an application for the public defender. He just took care of it. Okay? Because the king knew that he couldn't pay it. And we see that the servant goes out from here and he finds another servant who owed him 100 denarii. And he lays hands on him, takes him by the throat, and says, pay me what you owe. Now, a denarius was a day's wage. Denarii is just the plural of that. So his fellow servant owes him 100 days wages, which really could have been paid off in probably less than a year. 
but you see the response that, that he has on him. So there's no comparison between the 10,000 talents, which is insurmountable debt, which represents sin in our lives that can never be paid off, and the 100 denarii, which really represents, if you think about it, people to people. Taking it into perspective of what we owed God and he, he forgave us, the stuff that happens between us are just minor affronts. That's all it is, putting it in perspective. And we should forgive those. Yes, people will tarnish our reputation. Yes, people will, will lend people money and hope that they pay us back and they won't. And you, you, get, and you get upset with people. People are going to hurt us. But compared to what God did for us, they're really minor affronts, putting it in perspective. So I want to digress from the parable a little bit. I looked in the, in the dictionary for the definition of forgiveness, and I found three definitions. One is to grant a pardon for something or to someone. Two, to cancel a debt. And three, to cease to resent. Uh, that's, an inter- that's an interesting one. How many of you have ever held a grudge against somebody? Come on, be honest. We're supposed to be honest people here in church. Um, a grudge. A grudge is something that really hurts the grudge holder more than the person you're holding a grudge against. You're, you constantly are you're arguing with yourself. And then you see that person, and if they're smiling, you're even more angry. It really incenses you. How could they be having a good time? Don't they know I don't like them? So the more they let it go, the more you get angry. A grudge just hurts us. And the funny thing about God's words is we think, okay, well, God says you have to forgive. Remember, it's for us too. Grudges just cause a lot of stress and aggravation, and it's just not needed. So it just causes stress in our lives. Look at the main diseases out there, heart disease, etc. A lot of them are caused by stress. Not just cheeseburgers, but stress too. So, and if you look up the word forget, there's a thread of resemblance in both words. And you even see it in our vernacular, our common language. Okay, you've heard the expression, I've got to see if you're awake, so we're going to go from math to English. You've heard the expression to forgive and... Well, that was good. Now, how about, you ever hear this one? It's a, it's a negative, so I'm going to coach you. I forgive you, but I'll never... Okay. Um, And then the last one, if you're a gracious person and someone says to you, do you forgive me? Your response is, it's forgotten. (laughs) Gotcha on that one. (laughs) Now, it's a little bit different if you're you're from Brooklyn. Hey, Joey, do you forgive me? (laughs) Ah, forget about it, right? (laughs) Okay, moving on. Psalm 103.13 says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And Jeremiah 31:34 says, second part of the verse says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So we need to take the lead from our Father in Scripture. The lead is that forgive and forget. Remember their sin and iniquity no more. Okay? Uh, just a few things to go over, uh, to, not to confuse forgiveness with other things, and there's a reason for all this. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is from the heart. First John 2 says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. It's a heart matter. I can't look at any of you and, and know if you have something against me and if you forgive me. It's a heart issue. It's between ourselves and God. And then reconciliation is the next step in restoring a relationship. I'm going to go to Matthew 5:23 through 24. 
Actually, I start with verse 21, Matthew 5, 21 through 24. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So God, when we come before the Lord and we want to have fellowship with the Lord, there's, without reconciliation, without forgiveness, it, it's kind of like your, the signal's getting jammed between you and the Lord. It's very important to God that you do everything you can to restore a relationship with your brother or sister. So if you're going to do something for the Lord, he's like, kind of pause, hit the pause button. Go reconcile with a brother or a sister and then come back and offer your gift to God. Matthew 18, we'll go back to Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. The offended brother, 18, 15 through 17. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell your friends, go and tell your neighbors, broadcast it on the Internet, tell everybody else but the person that you're upset with. No, it doesn't say that. But isn't that too common? It's so much easier to, to talk about somebody and to gossip. You know what that person did to me? And then you kind of you actually build a wedge. It's harder and harder to go and reconcile. And you might find yourself embarrassed afterwards when it's something that could have been settled very easily, but you just went all around town telling tales, and then you got to put out a bunch of little fires afterwards. It's kind of a tough thing to do. But what it really says is, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. How many of you have had an issue Everybody, we use the word today, issue. Everybody has issues. How many, how many of you have had a problem with somebody and you've gone to them, you've prayed about it, you've gone to them in love, you get a little butterflies in your stomach, but you talk to them and, hey, gee, I didn't know I offended you, I'm sorry. And it's like a big weight is lifted off your shoulders. That's a great thing. It's so much better than telling tales and having to come back to you and, and then having to do damage control and try to reconcile after that. It's a much difficult thing to do. But here there are steps. You go between you and the person alone. And if they don't hear it, you can move on to the next step. Okay? Okay, we need, some people will refuse to restore. Some people, you know, they just don't want to hear it. You, you try, you go to them, and they just don't want restoration. So I'm not asking you to go, when you leave here, to go stalking people and say, Joe told me to do this. Boom, boom, boom. You've got to forgive me. You know there's laws against that, so... I don't want you using my name on that one. Okay. <laughs> the next thing is there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Uh, best example I could think of is if you had somebody that you thought you trusted babysit your child and they intentionally harmed your child. Well, you could forgive them afterwards. See, some of the mothers go, uh-uh, that's the unpardonable sin. You could forgive them. You should forgive them afterwards, but you not necessarily would have them watch your kid again next week. That's called foolishness. 
uh, when a, a broken trust is like, you ever see those uh, videos of the California wildfires? They just sweep through and they destroy everything. When it's all done, everything is charred, the trees come down, you see that kind of smoke rising up. And you look at that and you go, gee, I don't know if that'll ever come back again. But enough time, enough sunlight, enough water, enough time, enough sunlight, enough water, down the road, there's a forest again. That's the way trust is. Eventually it comes back over time. And then um, after forgiveness, sometimes there's, well, a lot of times, most of the times, there's repercussions for sin. And I think about, um, remember that lady, uh, Carla Faye Tucker? Remember she, five, six years ago, she uh, was drug-induced state and she killed two people? Well, somewhere between that and her going to prison, she accepted the Lord. There was a whole thing on TV. They interviewed her. Uh, and she, she totally found Jesus. You know, she was totally different. She had an effect on the prison guards and the prison population. But Texas had the death penalty, and they eventually, they eventually killed her. Uh, they, you know, people wanted her to be commuted and set free and all this stuff because she accepted the Lord. Well, Romans 13 says that the government still has to follow through with, you know, broken laws, and there's always repercussions for sin. Now, I mean, come on, can you imagine if it got out that everyone in prison, if they accepted the Lord, they'd get released? You'd see all these prisoners going, I found Jesus! Where's my pardon? So, you know, that, that, that presents problems in itself. But, and I, I've done prison ministry, so I'm not trying to make fun. I mean, it's, there's some solid brothers in there that have backslidden and realized that they have to continue uh, being, you know, serving out their sentence and then come out and hopefully not make the same mistakes again. Well, I give you these instances because some people try to manipulate God's people by saying, have you ever heard this one? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. You know, it's, it's a form of manipulation. Now, sometimes, look, I've been rebuked by non-believers, and I've had to, I've had to put my head down and humbly say, you're right, I, sh- I should know better than that. But some people try to manipulate you. Um, Gail Irwin wrote a book called Servanthood. It's a great book. It's a small book. And there was a great section in there about dealing with manipulators. Um, Jesus was never manipulated. He refused to work miracles for Herod. He refused to work miracles for the Sanhedrin and other particular towns. He didn't do many things in there because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, so they didn't have the right motives. He didn't get manipulated, and we shouldn't be manipulated either as God's people. Going back to the text, verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. So, and then verse 30, he says, He would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So here's a situation where servant one goes before the king, and compassion is shown. Servant one goes to servant two for a small amount of money and no compassion. He doesn't show any compassion. He's pretty brutal with him. Uh, Then the rest of the text reads, The other servants see what's going on. They're grieved, and they tell the master. And the last few verses, his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. A few things about the ending. It doesn't mean that God reverses his pardon for sin. I don't want to, I could tap dance around this and say, let's pray and leave. But the point is that there's things that you have to understand about parables. When we go to the parables, it's well understood when you learn about the parables that 
we're not supposed to hinge on all the fine details of the parables, because then it won't make sense to us. It'll become confusing. Jesus gave the parables because Jesus came for the smartest of the smart and the people with very little education. So Jesus used physical things. It was an agrarian society. He used physical examples, wedding feasts, working, uh, all kinds of different things to help people understand a spiritual concept. And that's what we try to do when we, when we you know, talk about the Bible here. But there's a basic understanding of forgiveness. And then there's some things that are important, like the talents. If you don't understand how much those 10,000 talents are worth, it kinda, you kind of miss the point. But if we start hinging on all the little nuances of the parable, then we get ourselves confused. Because in the case of verse 26 and 27, it would appear that, you know, if God, if this, the master represents God, that he didn't have a plan for salvation until the guy came and begged him saying, please forgive me. And that's, of course, we know that that's not true. So it's just a little piece of understanding the parables. But the truth of the matter is this. One, God obviously is serious about forgiveness. It's in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those you know, who trespass against us. And it's also a command in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, which I'm going to read now. Colossians 3, 12 through 13, says this. Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. It's a command. So forgiveness is very important. And two, only God knows our heart. Only God knows if we've truly forgiven somebody. We can put on the appearance that we have, but only God knows what's on the inside. 1 Samuel 16:7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God searches the heart. God knows the heart. And then three, it's kind of hard for someone with a bitter heart to have regenerative spirit. Uh, you look at the brutality that servant one committed to servant two for lousy 300 denarii, and you get that picture. And two more scriptures, and I'll just read these, one verse apiece. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I also think about, we did the study on uh, John 15, and Jesus talks about, I am the true vine. And he says that, you know, we're branches, and if we don't bear the fruit, where all you, all you can do with the branches is bundle them up and they, they get burned. So there's a, as a Christian, we have to be doers as well as hearers because it's got to come from our heart. When our, our heart is good, our fruit is good. And the same thing with abiding in Christ. If we're really Christians, we have to abide with Christ. So forgiveness. It was shown to us in the form of the cross, and we're commanded to show it to others. You know, it's only when we realize the gravity of the debt that we owe to God do we truly realize, and the way it was paid, do we truly, are we truly able to release our grip on those negative feelings towards other people? Are we able to release the anger and the harsh feelings towards other people? It does become a weight that's lifted off of our backs. So as the worship team comes up, I just want you to think about this concept, forgiveness. There's got to be, as, as we're going through this, there's got to be somebody in some of your minds that you're thinking of, your uncle, a friend, um, 
who knows, a coworker, somebody that you could think of in your, in your mind that maybe you haven't forgiven, and maybe you try to stuff those feelings, but it just keeps coming up, and you keep trying to stuff it. It won't, it won't stay down. It's like that game down the shore called whack-a-mole. You take the hammer, the mole comes up, and you keep whacking them, and they keep popping back up again. Well, if in your heart you're really thinking about somebody, I want you to just take a moment and you know, ask the Lord to, to let those feelings go.